Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 52nd installment, Man and Woman, He Created Them, of Theology of the Body. The 133 presentations prepared by Pope John Paul II to be delivered during the years 1979 and 1984. We are indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we are using. What is the meaning of the statement, the flesh has desires contrary to the spirit, and the spirit has desires contrary to the flesh? Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. This question seems important, in fact, fundamental, in the context of our reflections about the purity of heart mentioned in the gospel. In this regard, however, the author of Galatians opens horizons before us that are even vaster. This antithesis of the flesh to the spirit, spirit of God, and of life according to the flesh, to life according to the spirit, contains the Pauline theology of justification, that is, the expression of faith in anthropological and ethical realism of the redemption brought about by Christ, which Paul, in a context already known to us, also calls the redemption of the body. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 23, the redemption of the body also has a cosmic dimension with respect to the whole of creation, but at its center stands man, man constituted in the personal unity of spirit and body. It is precisely in this man, in his heart, and thus in all his behavior, that the redemption of Christ bears fruit, thanks to the powers of the Spirit that bring about justification, that is, that cause justice to abound in man, as the Sermon on the Mount insistently teaches, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, that is, to abound in the measure God himself wills and expects. It is significant that in speaking about the works of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21, Paul mentions not only fornication, impurity, licentiousness, drunkenness, orgies, thus according to an objective way of understanding, everything that possesses the character of sins of the flesh and of sensual enjoyment connected with the flesh, but mentions other sins as well, to which we would not be inclined to attribute a carnal and sensual character. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. According to our anthropological and ethical categories, we would tend to call all the works in this list sins of the human spirit rather than sins of the flesh. Not without reason, we could see in them the effects of the concupiscence of the eyes or of the pride of life. Nevertheless, Paul describes all of them as works of the flesh. One can only understand this way of speaking on the background of that broader and in some ways metonomically meaning that the term flesh takes on in the Pauline letters, since it is used as the antithesis not only of the human spirit, 
but also of the Holy Spirit who works in man's soul, in his spirit. There is thus a significant analogy between Paul's definition of works of the flesh and the words with which Christ explains to his disciples what he had first said to the Pharisees about ritual purity and impurity. See Matthew chapter 15, verses 2 through 20. According to Christ's words, true purity, as well as impurity, has its seat in the heart and proceeds from the heart. He defines as impure works in the same sense not only adultery and prostitution, that is, the sins of the flesh in the restricted sense, but also evil intentions, theft, false witness, curses. As we observed above, Christ uses the general as well as the specific sense of impurity, and thus indirectly also of purity. St. Paul expresses himself in an analogous manner. He understands the works of the flesh in the general as well as in the specific sense. All sins are expressions of life according to the flesh, in contrast to life according to the Spirit. What we consider a sin of the flesh, in accord with our linguistic convention, partly justified by the way, is in the Pauline list one of the many manifestations or species of what he calls works of the flesh, and thus one of the symptoms, that is, one of the actualizations of life according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit, flesh and the freedom for which Christ set us free. Paul's words to the Romans, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13, introduce us in a new way into the rich and differentiated sphere of meanings that the terms body and spirit have for him. The definitive meaning of this statement, however, is paranetic, exhortative, and thus valid for the ethos of the gospel. When Paul speaks about the necessity of putting to death deeds of the body with the help of the Spirit, he expresses precisely what Christ spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount, when he appealed to the human heart and exhorted it to mastery over desires including those that express themselves in a man's look directed toward a woman with the purpose of satisfying the concupiscence of the flesh. Such mastery, or as Paul writes, putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, is an indispensable condition of life according to the Spirit, that is, of the life that is the antithesis of the death about which he speaks in the same context. Life according to the flesh bears fruit, in fact, in death, that is, it brings with it the death of the spirit. The term death, therefore, does not signify only bodily death, but also the sin that theology was to call mortal. In Romans and Galatians, the apostle continually extends the horizon of sin-death, both toward the beginning of human history and toward its end, and thus, after Listing the many forms of works of the flesh, he says, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. 
Elsewhere he will write with the same firmness, Be sure of this, that no fornicator, or impure person, or one who is greedy, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Also, in this case, the works that exclude one from sharing in the kingdom of Christ and of God, that is, the works of the flesh, are listed as an example and in a general sense, though in the first place one finds here the sins against purity in the specific sense. See Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. To complete the picture of the antithesis between the body and the fruit of the Spirit, one must observe that in all that is a manifestation of life and behavior according to the Spirit, Paul sees at the same time the manifestation of that freedom for which Christ has set us free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. And so he writes, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as a pretext for living according to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law finds its fullness in a single commandment, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. As we pointed out above the antithesis between body and spirit, between life according to the flesh and life according to the Spirit, profoundly permeates the whole Pauline doctrine of justification. With exceptional force of conviction, the Apostle to the Gentiles proclaims that man's justification is achieved in Christ and for Christ. Man reaches justification in faith that works through love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And not only by observing individual precepts of the Old Testament law, in particular that of circumcision, justification thus comes from the Spirit of God and not from the flesh. He therefore exhorts the recipients of his letter to free themselves from the false carnal understanding of justification to follow the true one, that is, the spiritual understanding. In this sense, he exhorts them to consider themselves free from the law, and even more so to be free with the freedom for which Christ has set us free. In this way, following the apostles' thought, we should consider and above all realize evangelical purity, that is, purity of the heart, according to the measure of that freedom for which Christ has set us free. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his 52nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. In order for us to have a better grasp on this catechesis, it's good to see where we are, so we know where we're going. This is chapter 2 of the Holy Father's work, Christ Appeals to the Human Heart. Christ the Lord did not come to save the chickens or the roosters, the fish or the sharks, or the buffalo, or the elephants. He came to save us, human beings. For we are rational creatures. We are able to choose the good or to spurn the good. Christ appeals to our hearts. Blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman, he knew very much this appeal. As a cardinal, he chose his motto, Cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaks to heart. 
Christ's sacred heart appeals to our hearts, that we might correspond to that call to holiness, which is inscribed in our very being. Pope John Paul II has addressed purity as life according to the Spirit. And so, if we are not living according to the Holy Spirit of God, we are impure, cognizant that Purity or impurity is not only having to do with chastity, a virtue, or lust, a vice concerning human sexuality. Purity also includes or incorporates freedom from sin in any flavor or any sort that we are undefiled in the eyes of God. Purity of doctrine, purity of our desires. Pope John Paul II has addressed the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And so we remember that in St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are spelled out. Not only fornication, impurity, and orgies, but jealousy, anger, quarrels. Those are the works of the flesh. Those are sinful works which are to be avoided or repented if fallen into whereas the fruits of the Spirit are to be encouraged and embraced, fostered, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-mastery. These are the fruit of the Spirit, and our prayer, the Holy Father's prayer for us, is that they abound in us even as our Lord himself directs us to bear fruit which will last. If we bear the fruit of the Spirit, our eternity it will be blessed. In this 52nd Catechesis, Pope John Paul II begins to address the flesh and the freedom for which Christ set us free. St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1, reminds us that it was for freedom that we were set free. Freedom is not licentiousness. Let's just do whatever the heck we want. We are not libertines. We have been liberated from sin and Satan, from slavery to our passions, whims, and desire. For freedom we have been set free. And those who disregard the Lord's call to holiness, those who disregard the virtue of chastity, they are anything but free. Slaves to their passions, slaves to their desires, slaves to the fads and trends of the moment. For freedom we have been set free. Our Lord in the gospel reminds us that it is the truth which will set us free. And elsewhere he reminds us just what the truth is. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Because the Lord Jesus Christ entrusted the keys to St. Peter to bind on earth, to loose on earth, giving him a real authority. He who hears you hears me. When we hear the sure and certain teaching of sacred scripture or the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church, if we conform our hearts to these sure and certain truths, then we will be consecrated in truth. We shall know the truth which will make us free. We will know Christ Jesus, bridegroom of Mother Church. This is why our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, went to the trouble to prepare these 133 talks. This is why he spent five years presenting them between 1979 and 1984, that we might know the truth about ourselves and about God and that we might worship in spirit and in truth. Pope John Paul II not only cites St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, but he also cites St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The fifth commandment is not to kill. We're not supposed to kill the other person. We're not supposed to let them kill us. We're not supposed to kill ourselves. 
That's part of the fifth commandment. So here, when we say we put to death the deeds of the body, it is not a despising of our human life or our human conditions. It is rather the works of the flesh, which are the deeds of the body. These are the disordered deeds, the disordered desires, those which are the fruit of concupiscence, not the fruit of the Spirit. We who know Jesus Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life, we want to live in him. We want to live according to his Spirit, which he poured out on Mother Church at Pentecost, with tongues of fire and winds which shook the walls, which shook the hearts of the apostles in the upper room. So they were strengthened to proclaim the truth in love to any and to all. Now it is our turn to proclaim the truth in love, to proclaim the fruit of the Spirit, and to renounce the works of the flesh in the pejorative, in the sinful sense, to be with St. Paul, who, inspired by the Spirit, reminds us that if we live according to the flesh, we will die. And not only the temporal death, bodily death, but the spiritual death, our relationship with God, severed, cut off by any and every mortal sin, a breach, a wound which can only be healed by God's grace first given in the sacrament of holy baptism, and then renewed for those sins we sadly commit after baptism in the sacrament of penance, which is also called confession or reconciliation, one of the two sacraments of healing. Pope John Paul II, in this 52nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, a Theology of the Body, points out for our observation that there is a rich and differentiated sphere of meanings for body and spirit. So we have the body. The church is the body of Christ. The Eucharist is the body of Christ. And he who rose on the third day and ascended to the Father's right hand, who will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, this is Christ himself. Not in his sacramental reality, not in his mystical reality, not the Eucharist or the church, but his own self. This is the body of Christ. And the different meanings of spirit. We have the spirit of the age. We have the spirit of this world. We have the spirit of God. We have the letter and spirit of sacred scripture. The Holy Father points out these varied meanings, differentiated meanings, rich meanings, body and spirit, in relation to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. If you live according to the flesh, the body, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, you will live. The definitive meaning of this is paranetic and exhortative. Again, I had to look up in the dictionary our Holy Father's terms. Paranetic is to be persuasive or encouraging, and the encouragement of St. Paul is, at the same time, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Everything asserted by the human author of sacred scripture is imputed to the primary author of sacred scripture, who is God, who is the Holy Spirit, who is spoken through the prophets. So we are encouraged. We should be persuaded to put to death the deeds of the body, and to live according to the Spirit of God, a spirit of holiness, the spirit of truth and wisdom, spirit of knowledge and right judgment, spirit of understanding and counsel. Putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is an indispensable condition of life according to the Spirit, says Pope John Paul II. How important it is for us to hear those words. If it is indispensable 
for living a life according to the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Holy Spirit means if I'm a slave to my sins, I'm not yet living in the Spirit. And I have to ask the Lord to strengthen me, to strengthen my resolve, to pour out afresh and in greater measure an abundance of the Spirit so that I might conform my will, my life to Almighty God, to the Holy God. Pope John Paul II says, putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is an indispensable condition of life according to the Spirit. So, let us do that by God's power, by His grace working in us. Let us ask for new outpouring of the Spirit, not only upon ourselves, but upon our neighbors, upon our nation, upon the world. A new Pentecost, if you will. Pope John Paul II highlights that death is not only bodily death, but also that spiritual death which is mortal sin. The term mortal having to do with death. The kids play a video game called Mortal Kombat, our mortality. We are not immortal, we die. It's a consequence of original sin. Mortal sin is a deadly sin, which are not just the vices, opposite the virtues, pride, envy, greed, anger, or wrath, lust, sloth. The capital sins, or the deadly sins, are also mortal sins. And mortal sins are serious sins, things we know that are serious, and we know what is serious thanks to the Ten Commandments, which are a revealed expression of the natural law. Something we know is serious, it is serious, we know it's serious, and we do it anyway. These are the criteria for a mortal sin, which breaks, which ruptures our relationship with God. The object of the sin, the intention of the sin, and the circumstances of the sin all impact that sad reality which is mortal sin the best of intentions and the worst of circumstances cannot change the gravity of the matter they may impact personal culpability but the nature of sin is such the object trumps i have been a lustful man objectively sinful i have been a greedy man objectively sinful I have been a lazy man, objectively sinful. We can only overcome sin in our lives and in the world thanks to the grace and the power of Almighty God, poured out upon us beginning in holy baptism and nourished throughout life with all of the grace of the sacraments. And while our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, has cited the first verse of the fifth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians and verses 12 and 13 of chapter 8 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, he cites... Yet still another passage from St. Paul, Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. No fornicator or impure person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. We need to take these words to heart. We need to reject sins of lust. But there are other sins, too, and we are to avoid and repent them all. No fornicator or impure person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Fornication involves sex between two persons who are not married to each other. It's different from adultery, which is sex between two persons where one of them is married to somebody else or both of them are married to other people. The Spanish rendition of the Ten Commandments is very helpful here. No hay deseos impuros, no hacer actos impuros. Do not have impure desires, do not do impure acts. The trouble with our English rendition of the Ten Commandments of the Decalogue, it could see, be seen as permissive. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, but it's okay to covet the neighbor's husband. It's okay to covet the neighbor's children. God forbid. You should not commit adultery. Well, I'm not married, she's not married, so it's okay, right? 
No, that's fornication. So we thank God for the revelation given us by St. Paul in this 21st verse of the 5th chapter of his letter to the Galatians. But it's not only regarding sins against chastity or modesty or purity, no fornicator, but also no impure person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. And we know from our Holy Father's earlier exposition that purity as life according to the Spirit concerns not only sexual morality, but whatever is in the heart of man. That's what makes him unclean. So if I have an impure heart because I'm a lazy man, if I have an impure heart because I'm a greedy man, if I have an impure heart because I'm a wrathful man, then I have forfeited my inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. These are strong words, and they are meant to strengthen us in our life, in the Spirit, in our life of grace, in our life of holiness. Pope John Paul II, in this 52nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, highlights that there is a general sense and a specific sense regarding purity. Purity in the general sense is against greed, is against idolatry, is against any sort of sin, whereas purity in a specific sense has to deal with the sexual purity, sexual morality, modesty, and chastity, and the like. Pope John Paul II warns us in this 52nd Catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, of a false carnal understanding of justification. If we have maintained ritual purity, bodily purity, but have impure hearts, there is no justification within us. We have to have pure hearts and pure deeds. We have to be pure entirely, not just in our deeds, not just in our desires, the whole package. And so he warns us against a false carnal understanding of justification. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had his sacred flesh nailed to the wood of the cross that we might be redeemed from our sins, sins of the flesh, sins against the Spirit of God, the Spirit of holiness. This is why our bodies are washed in the saving waters of baptism. This is why our bodies are anointed with the sacred chrism at confirmation. This is why the hands are imposed upon us, over us, in the absolution of those sins we commit after baptism, that our body and soul might be purified, that we not have a false understanding, a carnal understanding of justification. The whole Judaizer controversy, which is related in the Acts of the Apostles, reminds us also of the importance of a proper understanding of justification. It's not by works of the law. It is not by circumcision that we are saved, but by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, applied to us, body and soul, in his bride, Mother Church, through his sacraments. This is the spiritual, the true understanding of justification, our Lord's work on Good Friday, applied to us in the work of his mystical body, Mother Church, applied to us in our bodies and our souls. As we receive the sacraments of salvation, as the justification wrought by the death and resurrection of Christ is applied to us where we are, healing my wounds, my sins in my life, healing your sins, your wounds in your life. This is 
evangelical realism. This is the realism of the gospel. This is the realism of our faith. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Pope John Paul II reminds us that evangelical purity is more than the ritual purity of old, but it is a purity of heart and a purity of deeds. This will conclude our 52nd installment on Pope John Paul II's Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. We have heard over these so many sessions, words of Christ, Christ who appealed to the beginning, who recognizes the original unity of the couple, and the two shall be one flesh. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife. How in the state, the original state, before the fall, there was an original holiness, an original justice, an original unity, all of that ruptured by the original sin, the remedy, of course, to original sin and any sins which we commit after on our own is the death and resurrection of Christ applied to us in saving and holy baptism. May we be faithful to the grace given us in baptism all the days of our life, even until the day of Christ Jesus. Until next time, God bless you.